Today we continue our summer series on the Lord's Prayer. So far this summer we've explored who God is as our heavenly parent, what it means to live in God's kingdom and discern the will of God that transcends our own. We've explored what it means to ask God for daily bread and to forgive us as we forgive each other. Today we turn to the final petition of the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is an important petition because it's the final line of the biblical Lord's Prayer in Matthew and Luke's Gospels. It's also the final line of the prayer for our Catholic brothers and sisters, among others. The version of the Lord's Prayer that we and most Christians say today chooses the King James translation of Matthew's Gospel for this petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you look in your pew Bibles and most other English translations of the Bible, uh, translates this line of Matthew's text here as this, Save us from the time of trial and rescue us from the evil one. The reason for this slight difference is because the King James Version is translated from an early Latin Bible. While most Bibles today are translated from the original Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. Luke's line here is simply, do not bring us to the time of trial. In fact, the new ecumenical, that is all denomination, translation of the Lord's Prayer has this line as, save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. Save us, deliver us, temptation, evil, While slightly different in wording, all of these really have the same basic effect. They ask God to show up and help us, to save us. To explore this theme, we turn first to the Psalms, where there are many, many examples of this, as the psalmist pleads for God's saving help in the time of trouble or trial. For our second lesson, we turn to the Gospel, as Jesus and his followers are caught in a storm on the sea. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel, excuse me, beginning with the 35th verse. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great gale arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was on the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Something many uh, of you may not know about me is that I am a licensed scuba diver. 
Granted, I haven't been on a dive since high school, but as far as I know, my certification still holds strong. In high school, I had the opportunity to spend two weeks one summer scuba diving in the Florida Keys through the Boy Scouts at their sea base uh, camp in Florida. It was a blast. It was an adventure of a lifetime, but it was also uh, the time when I was probably most afraid. On a typical day, we'd normally go for both a morning and an evening dive or afternoon dive. One day we went out for a dive at night, and not just sundown, but night-night. I'm guessing for those of you who are sailors or have been in the Navy uh, know what I mean when I say that it's a pretty odd feeling setting out to sea when it's pitch black. We had a great dive in the dark, which is also an odd experience, exploring underwater with only a flashlight to see just a few feet in front of you at a time. I remember turning around at one moment during the dive and being face-to-face with a shark who did not like that I shined it right in the eyes with the light. (laughs) But this was child's play compared to the fear that was shortly awaiting me. It was a windy night. The waves and the current were strong. Now, when you dive, you always have a buddy, someone that's right there beside you during the dive. And as long as you're with your buddy, you could venture off from the rest of the group a little ways and, and do what you like to explore. My buddy and I ventured off from most of the group, exploring further and further. We, we had so much fun in, in the excitement and the adventure of diving at night. Finally, when we were both getting a little low on oxygen, we decided, as uh, most rational folks would, to go up. Once we came to the surface, I realized that the boat that we had come on was nowhere to be found. We were stranded. Turns out we had drifted a good ways from the current, uh, from the boat and the rest of the group, and we really weren't that far away, but the waves made it seem like we were uh, endlessly far away as we came up and couldn't see anything. The waves had blocked the boat from us. It was frightening. It was scared. We, We both pleaded for help, and finally someone could hear us, and we found where everyone else was. In our gospel reading, we see Jesus hear the similar plea from his disciples. They're out to sea and get caught in a rogue storm. The wind and waves are raging. Their rickety little boat is taking on water and is now at the risk of sinking, leading them all to their demise. Where's Jesus in all this, they ask. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, oblivious to it all. His disciples fear the worst. They panic, they're afraid, and so they're understandably perplexed when they find Jesus asleep at the stern of the boat. They plead with Jesus, aren't you going to do something? Aren't you going to save us? Don't you care about us? With seemingly little effort, Jesus calms the sea by simply saying, be still, peace. Then in typical Jesus fashion, he asks the disciples why they're afraid and have so little faith. It should be noted here that while this story may have actually happened with Jesus and his disciples, it's symbolic of so much more and was so to the very first Christians who heard this gospel. In the beginning of Christianity, a common symbol for the church, you could even say the common symbol for the church, was a boat. As in the old saying, we're all in the same boat. 
Christians both in the early church and today have echoed these words of the disciples in the midst of trouble. Aren't you going to do something? Save us. This ancient symbol of the church as a boat was understood as a boat that was navigating the troubled waters of persecution, looking to Christ to calm the troubled seas of their lives and the world around them. Save us. It's no surprise this ancient prayer of Jews and Christians alike made its way into our Lord's Prayer. I think at times, though, we tend to personalize this line. Uh, lead us not into temptation. Help me with every little thing that's wrong in my life. There's nothing wrong with that prayer, but there's also nothing singular about the Lord's Prayer. If you look, every line of the Lord's Prayer is in the plural. Our Father, give us, forgive us, save us. As I shared in the first week of this series, scholar John Dominic Croson says that the prayer is certainly personal, but it's personal in community rather than personal in privacy. You may certainly pray it alone, but you are never alone when you pray it. As Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray together in community. And he does this because he is teaching us to live into the kingdom. As we've explored each week in the series, the Lord's Prayer is truly a prayer about God's kingdom. And that living in God's kingdom means asking to be uh, fed by God. It means asking to be forgiven and to forgive others. Now we see that living into this kingdom means asking to be saved. Save us, O Lord. Save us from temptation. Save us from trials, from troubles, from fears. Theologian Will Willimon claims at this point in the Lord's Prayer, the temperature rises. The temperature rises because when we pray this line, we are thrust into a cosmic battle, the battle between good and evil. It rises because when we pray this line, when we say this line, when we claim this line, we acknowledge that there is trouble in the world. When we pray these words, we're acknowledging that the world is not as it should be. There's evil in the world. Too many are suffering. People are going hungry. So we pray, save us, O Lord, save us. It's a petition both for the troubles facing our world today, but also a petition for the salvation of our world. Echoing the words of the man crucified alongside Jesus, Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Save us. Keep us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. These are truly powerful words. Words, as Willimon claims, turns up the heat in the prayer simply because of what's at stake. But friends, as Christians, we ask this petition already knowing the answer. Praying for God's kingdom, we know the plans of salvation and redemption God has for us in the world through Christ. We know, friends, that in Christ we have already been cleansed and claimed as children of God. We know that one day God will wipe away every tear. Death and pain and suffering will be no more. Yet in the meantime, 
This prayer is necessary. It's necessary in maintaining our hope in that redemption. Renowned preacher Tom Long once shared a story of meeting a physician who had some words to say to a preacher. Upon learning that Tom was a pastor, he said to him, When I get to heaven, if I get to heaven, I'm going directly to the throne room of God with a cancer cell in my hand and say, why? Tom, being both a master of words but also of theology, said, you know, here's what I think God would say to you. My beloved child, this is my enemy too. Joining in our Lord's Prayer, friends, means joining in the redemptive work of our God, knowing how our story will end, trusting that one day death and pain and suffering will be no more. This petition helps us not only engage the troubles of our world, working towards the redemption of its brokenness, but it also helps us to ask God for the strength needed to persevere in the face of struggle of evil, of hardships. This fall, we will be celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. There's a key tenet in our Reformed Presbyterian beliefs that I think is crucial here, and it's known as the perseverance of the saints. What this means is that since we have been claimed as children of God by the grace of God, and by nothing of our own doing, There's nothing that we can do to lose our salvation. Don't get me wrong, the Reformers knew well that we would struggle throughout our lives. Calvin spoke of it as the ongoing battle between spirit and flesh. But in the end, we know the answer to the prayer, save us, keep us from temptation, deliver us from evil. We know how God will answer this prayer. In a moment, we'll gather yet again at our Lord's table. Here is the place where we are nourished by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. At his table, each time we gather, we get another glimpse of God's kingdom. Here we are strengthened by Christ's body and by our family of faith, our communion of believers to be engaged with our troubled world and strengthened that we might persevere in the life of faith. Praying this petition together, save us, Lord, knowing full well how this prayer will be answered. Friends, Jesus teaches us to pray. He teaches us to pray not that trouble uh, would never come our way, but that we may face our trials and troubles and persevere when they do come our way. As we gather at our Lord's table and as we go out into the world, May we be nourished that we might be engaged in the struggles and troubles of the world around us. In times of trouble in our own lives, may we turn to Christ to calm the seas and storms of our own lives and remind us that ultimately in him, the battle is won, and we know how the story will end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.